Welcome to Designers of Paradise, a podcast focused on people who are changing the ways in which we produce our food, care for our soil and water, and protect our climate. There's a steady flow of information now about the many ways in which agriculture is damaging our planet, disrupting natural ecosystems, polluting our air and water, and destroying the soil it depends on. But there's another set of stories to be told as well. These are the stories of the people dedicating their time and brilliance to reversing the impacts of our industrial food systems. From farmers and consumers to innovators and entrepreneurs, city planners and funders, an entire ecosystem of change makers is on the rise. Together, they're bringing in a next generation of agriculture, which is regenerating soils, food quality, local economies, and significantly, hope. Hope for a better, healthier, and more equitable future for all. These are the designers of paradise. These are people who see paradise as the natural condition of a world in balance, where our collective activity feeds the land and consciously works with nature to rebuild the abundance that supports all life, including our own. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. Please subscribe for Designers of Paradise at iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm speaking today with Amber Smith from an organization called Women in Ranching, which is based in Montana. So while this is normally a podcast series that uh, feels a bit like we're sitting around the kitchen table with people, I kind of feel like we're out in big sky today. Uh, Amber, welcome. Good morning, Eric. Thanks for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to do that. I hadn't known about um, your activity until um, you know, a mutual colleague had, had uh, connected us up a couple weeks ago, but I'm really, really excited to, to find out about it. Um, not only because I'm a follower of, of things like holistic grazing, and um, as a regenerative series, uh, really believe that, that ranching and uh, impacts of animals on land can be as positive as regenerative uh, vegetable production, for instance. But also the role of women specifically in the regenerative space, you would kind of think it was intuitive that that it's massive, but it doesn't get enough play in terms of people's attention. So I'm, I'm really happy that um, I found out about what you're doing and to talk to you about it today. So maybe you yes, could- Yes, thank you. And maybe you could start <laughs> by giving us kind of an outline of, of, of what the Women in Ranching program is about. Yes, so the Women in Ranching program <clears throat> is actually based across the West, um, and we are with a nonprofit called the Western Landowners Alliance, and that nonprofit supports policies and practices which support working lands, native species, and vibrant rural communities. And our program is focused on connecting, engaging, and empowering women on these vast Western Plains. Um, as an example, my husband and my children and I live on a 53,000 acre ranch in Eastern Montana, which is home to sage grouse, antelope, mule deer, 
uh, and a, a varied assortment of wildlife. And we use holistic management principles um, to manage the livestock here, um, making a profit and a profitable business that keeps us on the land while also keeping these large wild places intact and wild um, for the other life that lives here. And women are doing this across the West, um, but the notion of the, of the cowboy um, is seared in the minds of, of Americans. And I think people around the globe that there's these lonely men out, out on these vast lands moving cattle, um, which maybe was true in a time and place, but for all of this time, there's always been women um, running businesses, taking care of their families, engaging with their rural communities. Um, in my tiny rural community, most of our, of our uh, volunteer boards are directed and um, staffed by women. Um, we have a wonderful woman teacher uh, here in Cohagen, and she has 17 kids from this little ranching community. It's a one-room schoolhouse, and she moved out here from Virginia and has been here 10 years now. Um, women are a vital part of these rural communities, and the Women in Ranching program is really about celebrating the work that they do and bringing them from these far-flung places uh, for weekend long gatherings. Our facilitators, our educators um, are all women and these gatherings are hosted um, free of charge um, by beautiful, beautiful ranches, um, the majority of whom are, are actually managed by women. So uh, we've been at it for a little over a year now um, the original circles were started in California at the Picinus Ranch and the Tomcat Ranch by Elaine Paterini and Wendy Millett. I was a participant of one of those original circles, and my big leap uh, when I left the program was to bring the program back to Montana. So this year, we're actually hosting gatherings in Montana, Wyoming, California, Texas, New Mexico, um, and hope to continue doing so across the West. And all of this has been built up in a year, or or yes. kind of stacking so, the legacy that came. Yeah, yeah. So the original two circles we call Circle One and Two uh, were hosted for three years in California, and then in. 2018, I brought a single gathering to Montana. Um, and then that year I was, uh, the program moved to its new home at the Western Landowners Alliance. And I came on board to manage the program. And so last year we hosted six circles. So really in our, in our first year as an official program, we hosted six circles. Um, and just had a great variety of people show up um, to donate and support and volunteer and sponsor. Um, and it's, it's just been a, a really powerful experience. And um, I think what I hear most often in our gatherings is women feeling a sense of uh, not belonging and 
and I often have women tell me, well, uh, I'm not really a woman in ranching, um, which is such a strange <laughs> comment to make, you know, coming from women, as I said, who are living very isolated lives um, in very rural places, raising families, you know, supporting the work of the ranch, uh, running businesses, and so helping them break through that imposter narrative and create um, narratives that are true and that honor the reality of, of their role in, in the food system and in regenerating our landscapes and in keeping these rural places um, vibrant has been a really wonderful and worthwhile effort. Um, and I actually was not, I did not grow up in ranching. I did not grow up in agriculture. Um, I grew up in a blue collar town in central Illinois, uh, where I had, uh, my first love was the outdoors and fishing and camping. Um, and then that moved on to horses. And I was working on a guest ranch in Colorado, uh, which is where I met my husband who did grow up in ranching. So I first moved um, to rural America in 2006, and it was a hard transition um, for me to say the least. Um, you know, coming to a place where, where I didn't feel I belonged and, and no matter what I tried, um, I guess that sense of being an imposter was, was pretty heavy on me. And so when I attended my first women in ranching gathering, which was in 2018, um, it was the first time that I felt my role and who I was and what I brought to the table in agriculture uh, was necessary and important and valued. And I was able to sit in circle with women who were younger than me, who were older than me, some of whom had been in agriculture their entire lives some of whom came to agriculture because they believed um, in regeneration and believed in the principles of holistic management. Um, and I was able to find a community of people uh, to support me and, and for me to feel supported in. And it was a complete game changer. Um, when I came home, <laughs> my husband told everyone, Amber didn't quit talking for two weeks. I don't know what happened in California. <laughs> um, and, and that's a story uh, I, I often hear from, from the men associated with this community is, you know, I don't know what happens in those women and ranching gatherings, but whatever it is, um, you know, thanks for doing it. And, and it's, it's so been... So I'm, curi I'm curious, I mean, it's, it's, I can see how you could transfer from your experience to kind of empathizing what other women were going through. Um, and obviously, you know, adding on to that actual conversations with folks and hearing the stories and, and how that might have um, or did lead you to get stuck further in. Um, but you could have taken a more conventional, not specifically regenerative, 
perspective on ranching, as, especially as, a, as someone just kind of stepping into it and maybe needing some, some kind of direction or guidance. So what do you think, did you think, is that something you brought with you already? Were you already kind of committed to doing things more ecologically and, and more regeneratively? Or is that something that you came into awareness later on as, as you started to um, experience more on, on the land with ranching? Yeah, so, um, you know, I came into ranching loving the outdoors and loving native species and loving the value of working with your hands, of being outside, of working with other people who are, who are committed. Um, but it was definitely uh, a slow process, um, learning from others who are doing things differently. Um, hearing stories from soil scientists about the value that was created with holistic planned grazing. Um, and that process, so with holistic planned grazing, you're actually planning for recovery periods. And so your livestock are in a paddock or a pasture for a certain number of days and then they're moved off of that land onto another piece of land and then given the necessary rest. And so actually in our environment here in Eastern Montana, each of our pastures is only grazed once through the year. So the animals might be um, in an area for 14 days and then that land is given you know, 300 plus days to recover from that experience. Um, and no, I, I did not bring that with me. That, that came um, in learning from others and Picenus Ranch and Tomcat Ranch, which as I said, were the original hosts of these gatherings. Uh, their, their major focus is on education and education regarding um, regeneration of soil. Um, so that's, that has always been an inherent and key part of these women at ranching circles is educating people on the role that they play in stimulating new life on these landscapes. And the gatherings that you are um, facilitating now, do they vary in, in terms of the theme, or they always have kind of a practical um, training element as, as part of that? Because it, it sounds like a lot of the, the value of this is the bonding and the recognition that, that the women are not alone in their experience and that you're building a community even of people who might not be physically close to one another uh, in, you know, in their everyday lives. But is there also this kind of practical focus on holistic grazing? Yes, absolutely. We've been um, really lucky, I would say. The Western Landowners Alliance has a, a broad membership of progressive ranchers, and um, the ranchers which have come online to host our women and ranching gatherings, um, I would say, are, are top-notch and ahead of their time um, in their management and stewardship practices. And so, uh, I would say part of the fun of gathering these women on these locations um, is being able to spend time with the staff and sometimes the ranch owner 
to learn about the why and the how behind their um, management philosophy and spending time out on the land and understanding what their grazing practices are, why they're utilizing that timing and that location. Um, we've had the privilege of having Nicole Masters at several of our circles, and she is a agroecologist from New Zealand. Um, and I would say is, is uh, really at the forefront of soil health um, and a narrative that's engaging and exciting. Um, actually, at one of our campfires, there's a there's a traditional practice. I can't remember if she called it fire dancing, but it's using these batons that both ends are on fire. And so, after spending the afternoon with her, learning about microbial life and how that is affected by grazing and by our stewardship of these lands, um, she was doing a fire dance around the campfire. So. <laughs> you know, she. I, I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago, and um, oh. she didn't tell me. She didn't tell me about the fire dancing. Yes, yes. She she is full of mystery and intrigue. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Yes. So we have, um, you know, the common theme and the mission of women in ranching is to empower women on the land. But as you can imagine, um, these gatherings being hosted in different regions of the country and on different ranches, um, there's quite a lot of variety um, in the place. And so this last year, uh, for the first time, we hosted a gathering on uh, Indian Reservation, on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. Um, and so part, part of that experience was our facilitator, April, um, guiding us through a sweat lodge, um, which was an absolute honor. Um, unfortunately, in the seven years that I've lived in Montana, um, meeting April and being at the Wild Rose Center on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation uh, was the first time I had ever engaged with uh, a Native person. Uh, which which speaks to the fact that culturally um, folks stay pretty much you know in in their region there's there's not um, as much synergy going on as there should be um, but that sweat lodge experience was uh, the great equalizer um, when all of us there's 22 of us together in there and they passed in a great big jug, an old Tropicana juice jug that was filled with water. And everyone was encouraged to take a drink. And as you can imagine, you know, some women just kind of pass the jug on and we're not culturally used to sharing glasses, uh, you know, or sharing food in that way. Um, but by the second round, when that jug came into the lodge, uh, everyone was bang and water was I pouring bet. down, <laughs> pouring down their face and chest. Um, yeah, you I know, bet they we, were desperate for it. Yes, yes. And we came out of that, uh, quite honestly, I told April that I thought I had a I definitely had some panic moments that I wasn't going to survive. I mean, it was it was so hot, and she said, "Oh, Amber, this was this was a baby sweat. This this was for children." 
we had two two older Cheyenne women um, in in the circle with us and and hosting hosting the prayers in the Cheyenne native language. Um, uh, you know, and so there was just this great recognition of of what can happen when you bring people together across boundaries, but all people who are who are working to care for and steward these lands and communities. Um, so I have a lot of hope um, in seeing that continue. And we actually, April is going to be facilitating gatherings for us um, and other locations off the reservation. So I'm I'm so excited to be including her voice and her perspective as we as we continue to grow the program. That is so important. You know, there's there's a couple of different things I kind of like to directions that we could we could kind of um, play off of from that that small story. Um, one is coming back to women's impacts on the ecosystems um, in terms of uh, stewardship, nurturing. And, you know, we had there, of course, you know, not, maybe not all the listeners know, but it, it wasn't that long ago, it was the official kind of United Nations Day of Women. And it's it, it always strikes me as so interesting that the kinds of policies and recognitions and honor that those of us in, you know, privileged countries or overprivileged countries um, accord to people in other parts of the world, we forget to do that at home, right? So there was a whole lot of, of, of you know, nice little stories and, and tweets and clips and, you know, statements and things circulating during that week about the role of women in ecology and in, in, in developing countries and how they hold local economy together. And they're the ones who actually are, are the front line against ecosystem destruction, et cetera, et cetera. But then when it comes back to a place like Europe or the United States, it just kind of drops away, you know? Um, so it's, it's I, I think it's beautiful. I think it's important. I think it's appropriate. It's necessary that the work you're doing is tying in so directly and so intentionally with supporting the recognition of women's roles in this. And interesting mm -hmm. that you're now connecting to a more traditional indigenous uh, culture within North America in some of your work. Yes, and I have to say, um, my my one-on-one -on -one conversations with uh with women in that community over the last year have been some of the greatest most valuable learning experiences of my life um you know and finding a community of women who have been uh you know socially disenfranchised and you know we we stole we stole their lands from them we stole their language and culture from them their religion um, and the fact that they have opened their home to, to women um, to come and to learn and to be together in the reality that we are all women and we are all caring um, for ourselves, you know, for families, uh, for our communities. And this idea, I think one of the the greatest ideas I've taken from this is uh, the ultimate reality that we're, you know, if you look at this from an eco, from a point of view 
of the ecosystem. You know, we're, we are residing in million acre neighborhoods. And what happens at the edge of one water flow system is always flowing downstream um, or upstream, depending on what, what side of the continental divide you're on. Here, here on our ranch, actually, we, we rest on the divide. And so half of the ranch, the water flows one way, and the other half of the ranch, the water flows the other way. Um, and so being able to look at this at a greater scale is really, really important. And connecting people on, on different ends of the system, uh, you know, just brings a lot of value. And being able to recognize what I do and how I care for myself has effects on others. And that, you know, if, if I care for you and you care for me, then we're all caring for the land and we're all caring for this million acre neighborhood, which we, we have no life without that health based closest to the soil surface. And so, you know, the Women in Ranching program is, is focused on empowering women who are, who are closest to the soil surface and having an impact every day um, in the way that they're stewarding their landscapes. And it's something, you know, as a, as a country, um, unfortunately, I, I think we have, well, and maybe as a global community, in fact, most of us have moved very far away from recognizing um, that reality. And I think until we can all move closer, closer to that and, and see ourselves as um, a group of people who, if you're not, if you are not thriving, then I inherently also am not thriving. Um, and I, I hope and believe that that is something that we're building into these gatherings and those women are leaving and going back to their communities um, filled up, you know, and ready to keep serving and, and ready to keep uh, fulfilling their vital roles. We're going to take a break now, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Designers of Paradise is made possible in part by Mind & Media. Over the last quarter century, the writers, producers, storytellers, and media specialists at Mind & Media have spearheaded a multitude of engaging and complex communication campaigns. Mind & Media is a proud supporter of the work being done by the wonderful and passionate people of Rasa who are engaged in the creation of a regenerative future for generations to come. Find out more about Mind & Media at mindandmedia.com. That's M-I-N-D-A-N-D-M-E-D-I-A.com. And now, back to Designers of Paradise and host Eric Van Lennon. Welcome back to Designers of Paradise, where I'm speaking today with Amber Smith from Women in Ranching. Hearing you describe that. Um, years ago, I had a, a mentor who, in my work who was really, really super important to me, and he was um, an activist in the Ojibwe uh, nation in Wisconsin. And he used to do a lot of work building bridges between Native and non-Native American people. And one of one of the things that he would say, because he, he spoke a lot on college campuses, and and so young people would 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 kind of gather around and and, and thirsty for 
his knowledge and thirsty for a different way of seeing things and thirsty for the possibility that they could help create a better world um, with more respect and more recognition and, and, and that sort of thing. And one of the things he used to say was, well, our people say that in the beginning, all the peoples of the world were gathered around the campfire together and the creator gave us our instructions about how we should be in the world and take care of it. And then one by one, you know, the, the, the brown people and the black people and the white people and the yellow people kind of, you know, went off into the world and, you know, started roaming. And the only difference between everybody else and the red people is that we were really comfortable at that fire. So we didn't leave as soon as everyone else. And that was, that was a powerful metaphor and it was a powerful um, kind of parable, I guess, in oh, the sense, in the sense that, you know, we all actually have that. And you just need to kind of reach back far enough to connect with a time when your own ancestors would have had that same recognition of the vital connection with the soil. You know, as you say, it's at the soil surface. Um, and, and so it's, that gives me hope because it's not like we have to learn something so much as we have to remember it. Mm -hmm. Right? And then when we come into contact with yeah. it, with a society or a culture, which is much more actively engaged with us, such as, such as you have on the Cheyenne, the Northern Cheyenne uh, Res, it triggers it. You know, there's, right. there's, there's not really a process of having to take that in and think about it. It's more like there's a resonance mm -hmm. and a recognition. And that's so powerful. So I, I, I really, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you've got this intention to continue to work together because I think it'll be powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, that it's interesting because you have um, people who, with very good intentions, want to want to push that as being, uh, you know, a broader reality. And um, I'm just willing to to let that be a part of the becoming. And so, as women in ranching continues, and as relationships form and develop, um, if what we're creating is is valuable and offering a sense of community that is being desired, um, then that inherently will be moving into regions that um, for some reason have, have gone unnoticed and have gone, you know, in some sense left behind um, in their regions. And so, uh, you know, my, my appreciation and, and actually um, that opportunity to work with the Northern Cheyenne, um, as I was developing another circle in Montana in that region, I was reaching out to neighboring ranches to learn more about the history of the region and to understand the key players. And that ranch, the Diamond Cross Ranch, is sandwiched between the Northern Cheyenne and the Crow Reservation. Um, and so in, in speaking to to the neighbors, they had uh, introduced me to April, and then you know that relationship was able to um, become what it is now. And so, 
you know, women in ranching is hugely grateful for the opportunity um, to be in partnership uh, with the Wild Rose Center and to be on location there um, and to really, to really take learnings. And I would say one of my greatest learnings in the last month has been um, in conversation with some of those folks and using the word regenerative and the word stewardship and having a negative response. And I said, you know, what's, what's triggering about those words for you? Um, and the comment back to me was, well, it, it, it just feels like I'm not included. And it feels as if the native voice is being told, um, we still aren't right and we still don't know about the land and we need people from outside to tell us and to use words like stewardship and use words like regenerative. Um, and that was a shocking moment for me. Um, you know, and this, this is something that plays itself out over and over and over again um, from my position of privilege. Unless someone enlightens me to the potential harm that I'm causing with my language, um, you know, I just keep going about using it. And so, you know, it was a, a gift and an eye opener. And it also made me take a new approach, which was asking, what do you know about this land? How have you been managing this land? And what are you seeing? What effects are you seeing in the um, plant community? What effects is the management having on the animals and on the wildlife? And what can I learn from you? And what can you learn from me? Um, much more of a listening um, opportunity and much less of a, well, let me tell you how I do it and why I do it and why it's right. Um, and so I think all of us um, learning to come at things with an inherent sense of humility, um, an inherent sense that we can only know and understand from our own context. And our my context is not the same as my neighbors, um, and that's okay. And so <laughs> what is your context and why do you see things in this way? You know, and now let me tell you my own context and why I see things in this way and what, what can we learn from each other in this moment. So it becomes listening and sharing. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, they say communication is you know, good, proper or good communication is about 80% listening. And I, I, I think it's easy for privilege to, well, for one thing, privilege to not see itself as privileged, but also right. to, to kind of take the role of the, of the explainer or the teller or the teacher, even with best of intentions and to forget to listen. Because it's, it's yes. in some ways, it's easier to see, anticipate, appreciate those differences and how vocabulary can impact on a, on a relationship when you're very aware you're coming from different cultures. But we forget it with each other in our own culture. Mm -hmm. And it's just as important, you know? I mean, maybe, there, maybe the words won't be quite so distinct from one another, 
but I think the dynamic is there. It's a human dynamic. Yeah, and you know, when my husband and I first started learning about holistic management, um, we had the great privilege of having Tony and Andrea Malmberg, who are ranchers in Oregon, uh, really be our mentors through the process. And Tony would would consistently talk about holism and how he he struggled to step away from linear logic and into a more holistic way of thinking. Um, and I did not value the, I, I could not recognize that about myself. I felt I did a very good job at looking at things holistically. And then um, spending time with April on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation and listening to their stories, which in my own linear way of being educated, I struggled because it was um, stories that seemed to be in bubbles. And I was always asking, well, so when did that happen? What year was that? Okay, so then what came next? Because <laughs> I, I look at history or history in a linear way. And I was suddenly speaking with people um, who did not. And what happened yesterday is just as present today and in this moment. Um, and so I finally understood uh, what Tony had been describing to my husband and I for years, which was he struggled stepping away from the Anglo linear way of looking at everything um, and stepping into a more holistic approach. Um, yeah, so so the learning the learning continues, and and one of the things I love to see um, and to hear from our women in ranching gatherings is the women continuing to connect after the gathering, um, and continuing to meet up. You know, coming to town for lunch or um, going to another educational venue with each other and and making plans for that. Um, because finding, finding a community of support in your moment of change and in your moment of shifting paradigms is hugely important. Um, and for myself and my family on the land and our ability to steward it well, we could not have done that in the early stages uh, without a community of practice and without people who would support us and love us, even in the moments when we failed. You know, we made choices that had unintended consequences that we could not see. Um, and that's the value that I see um, in these women in ranching gatherings is, you know, so our mission is to empower women on the land. Well, that's just the start. So you empower somebody to take that first little step forward and you might have a quote unquote failure, um, you know, which we all learn to see more as learning rather than failure. But if you don't have people supporting you as, as you are transitioning, it's very, very hard to transition. And uh, ranching communities are very, 
um, I'm sure you can imagine them being very traditional communities. And tradition is a wonderful thing. Tradition creates a sense of knowing, it creates a sense of belonging, it creates a sense of rightness about the world, that I understand it, that I know how it works, I know how to take care of my land and animals. Um, and so when you start being pushed into looking at things differently and, and being able to recognize in my management, things are changing. You're seeing more bare ground. You're seeing, you're not seeing young trees. You're seeing an elderly community of trees. You know, why is this happening? Being able to have eyes that can see those things um, cannot happen without a community of people that you trust. And I remember we had um, a gentleman on the ranch and he commented about, oh, you know, look, look at the generations of cottonwood trees that are starting to form. He said, how long, how long have you been here and managing? And at that time it had been six years. And it took six years um, for those trees to be able to start coming to life and to be able to express themselves because finally they weren't having their throats stepped on by management practices. Um, you know, when you keep livestock locked onto land for months on end, uh, it keeps life at a minimal existence. But when you start moving those animals, it allows seeds to germinate, it allows plants to come into their fullness and deposit those seeds. Um, and so for these women, having a community of practice, having a community of women who are anywhere along the spectrum um, of their learning, uh, you know, it, it helps it to come full circle. And I know for me and our very first gathering, um, it was the second day and I felt like I had known most of these women for years by the time we got to the second day. Um, and we were sharing our fears about making the change that we wanted to see. And I was looking at women who were in their late 50s, late 60s. Um, they had been there, they had done that, they had started businesses, they had raised families, incredible, incredible, powerful women. And seeing them in tears uh, about the fears that they still faced every single day was such a moment of relief and joy for me. I, I think I had always thought, well, you know, one day when I'm, by the time I'm 40, I'll be over these self-confidence issues. Or by the time I'm 50, you know, I will have figured it out. And actually that's just not true. You know, we're all in it together. We're all along a spectrum of confidence or lack thereof. Um, of learning, of knowledge sharing, of, of building community, of moving from a, a mindset of scarcity to a mindset that there is actually enough. There's enough time, there's enough resources, um, there really are people out there who will love and support me. Um, it, it changes the game. When you wake up and you act from a place and from a sense, there is enough. 
or even that there's a sense of abundance um, that is able to move you forward positively in such a different way than being stuck in a mindset of scarcity, of waking up and, and being afraid, being afraid of you know commodity markets and how that's going to affect you, um, being afraid of, you know, people right now I think are, are living in a sense of scarcity and fear regarding this global pandemic we're seeing. Um, being able to shift from that into a state of there's enough and I am enough and everything that I offer is enough and of value. Um, I, it has absolutely changed my life and I am committed to seeing it change the life of other women. That's a really good point for us to wind up on because it's inspiring and it's powerful. Um, but before we go, I just want to check and see, is there anything that you would like the listeners more specifically to take with them? If, they, if, if, if someone is listening and she wants to participate, where does she go? How does she contact you? Um, you know, give us a, a little bit of kind of action-focused detail here. Absolutely. So um, you can check out Women in Ranching via Facebook or Instagram. And we also um, have a page on the Western Landowners Alliance website. Um, or you can email me directly, amber at westernlandowners.org. And we will, um, our first gathering, uh, we actually had some gatherings scheduled in March, and so those have been shifted later to the year. Uh, we are still on target to meet in early June, um, but, you know, but depending on how things are going, that, that also could be moved to July. Um, but between now and then, we're actually having um, community check-in calls every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And if you would like to be included um, in that community check-in, please email me. And again, that was amber at westernlandowners.org. Amber, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And I wish you all the abundance and best of possible outcomes for this endeavor. And I'll be tracking it myself. I hope we get the chance to talk again fairly soon. Eric, thank you so much. I've really appreciated it. And it was great to meet you. Great. We'll talk soon. Okay, thanks. thanks. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for listening to Designers of Paradise. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Join me next week as we bring you another eye-opening interview with the people who are revolutionizing the way we produce our food. Indeed, the people on the front lines of designing paradise. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. To learn more, go to www.rasa.ag. That's www.rasa.ag. If you have any ideas you'd like to suggest, such as folks we should be talking to or a specific topic we should cover, hit me up with your ideas on Twitter at Greenheart. That's G-R-E-E-N 
underscore H-E-A-R-T, Greenheart. We'll see you next week.